This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. We're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues in the world of sports, talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. So, Mike, I have to say it's a little bit of a weird week in some ways. We're in this in-between phase as we're waiting for sports to come up, and we're also looking at a sports world that continues to wrestle with the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, all the different responses. You know, I have thought a lot about our conversation with Terrell Davis earlier this week, and that went out on as a podcast on Monday. I don't know if it stuck with you as much as it did with me, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I have too, and, I, and, and I've thought about how it has really just sort of woken everybody up that either played the game, is playing the game, or follows the, the game. And by the game, I mean every single sport that's going on. I mean, this entire planet right now is tuned into what happened to jo- uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis. And this isn't going to be just a one-day pay homage, uh, uh, kneel down, and pay your respect. I think this is really going to affect change. I, I, I'm more than any incident that in recent memory that I can think of, this will affect change. Well, and I think you need to look no further than, than the NFL, right? I mean, this notion mm-hmm. that the NFL stood so strong, you know, for better and worse, uh, depending on uh, how you viewed it, you know, against doing much of anything in terms of empowering their players to protest and certainly the Kaepernick issue. And obviously, Goodell's statement was uh, notable given the lack of discussion of Colin Kaepernick by name, and that's been made a lot of. But the idea that Roger Goodell, of all people, and the NFL, of all institutions, did a 180, uh, and Terrell Davis talked a lot about that, you know, and, and the notion of it was a long time in coming, but it did happen, and I think the notion that it happened was really important. I think you think back to what happened with Drew Brees, and Drew Brees saying something and then reversing himself, and we talked about this on the show last week, but... I agree with you. I think something has changed and it's not going away. And and I do think it speaks a lot to uh, the empowerment that's going on. And anyway, so I just I wanted to kick off the show by sort of referencing back to to Terrell Davis, because I it's not often that I find myself calling back to an interview, even in just conversation with people. And I and I will also say, um, not to gas you and me too much, but I have gotten a lot of feedback on, on that one too. Just, you know, everyday listeners uh, who, who listen to the whole interview with Terrell Davis because his personal stories, and I think that's another notable thing that's happening right now, is that a lot of folks are being much more willing to share some pretty emotional stories and very personal stories about their experiences. And I think once you hear those stories, you can't unhear them. And, and it's hard to uh, it's hard to say, no, 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 there's nothing going on here. You know, there's two key words here in this whole thing and this whole reaction by, by everyone that I think are important. You just mentioned one of them, hear, H-E-A-R, and listen, L-I-S-T-E-N. I think for decades, most people have been hearing yeah. people talk and complain about social injustice but they've never really listened. And and I think that's the key here, is that people are actually listening. I listened with great in- in interest when Terrell Davis was telling us how his dad instructed him and his friends when they drove their car and were pulled over by a, a white police officer, keep your hands visible on the wheel at 10 and 2, stare straight ahead, yes sir, no sir, because it was a regular occurrence. And that's something that's never happened to me. It's never happened to a, a, a majority of, of, of white people. Right. And when I listened to that, I said, wow, what a way to grow up in fear. Yep. 
you know, every single day. I mean, just sitting on top here, he talked about an electrical box that they all hung out on. They, uh, and they, they just, uh, you know, uh, in, in outside of San Diego when he was a kid and the cops would pull up and they would just, you know, start harassing them for no reason at all. And they were just kids hanging out on a regular Friday or Saturday night, uh, just doing nothing, just shooting the breeze, talking about sports, talking about girls and, and that never happened to me. And, you know, yeah. and I listened, you know, I, I, and maybe before I was just hearing the stories, yep. but I never was listening to them. Yep. So I think those are the two key words, hear and listen. No, I think you're exactly right. And, and it is, I, I think, a reminder, too, that sports really does sit so much in the culture of everything in our everyday lives. And obviously, you and I make our livings in part doing this and talking about it uh, and following it. But, you know, for re regular everyday folks, I mean, it is so important. And, and we're hearing uh, more and more about it. And to your point, listening to more and more athletes uh, speak out. You know, one, uh, to, to make a little bit of a pivot, you know, one uh, rather controversial athlete who, by, you know, all accounts is not very much in the zeitgeist of these discussions that we're having right now, but still is incredibly popular is none other than Conor McGregor. And he is apparently hanging it up. <laughs> what is the record for hanging it up and coming out of retirement for, for, for wrestlers, boxers and UFC uh, mixed martial arts fighters. I mean, Muhammad Ali must might have retired five times and come right. back. Larry Holmes did it. And every time they came back, the purse was bigger and larger than ever. And, uh, you know, the last time I think McGregor came out, uh, they had a huge, it was one of the biggest uh, nights in the history of Uf UFC. I mean, that That's was right. um, that was a big, big night. So this is, we have not seen the last of Conor McGregor. And I, I would bet the farm uh, on that, that this is, it's all part of a promotional gig. And, you know, he's only 30, I say only 31 years old, which is probably, you know, above bordering right. uh, getting old in, in, in that sport. But, uh, you know, it's P.T. Barnum and Bailey, and um, and that and we all recognize it for what it is, and yep. good for him. Good for yeah. them. Well, and also, I mean, I think it, it's an interesting time, too, for the UFC, and we've talked about it on this show, too, that, you know, they were one of the first sports to come back. Yeah. They continue to be controversial in just about everything they do, and certainly uh, Conor McGregor has not been, uh, shall we say, a model citizen throughout any of this. And as you say, it's part of the show, and he retired in 16, he retired in 19, now, apparently, in 20, he's doing it again. So uh, probably haven't seen the last of him. But, you know, it it is notable in the sense that I do think that for the everyday sports fan who's not following MMA or UFC, wouldn't you say he's the best-known fighter in sort of the broader world? Oh, absolutely, without question. I mean, can you name the heavyweight champion of the world right now? No. Nope. In boxing? No. I can't. I, I cannot. Yeah. And, and one time that was uh, that was a title that may, might have been the most respected and revered title on the planet. The heavyweight champion of the world is Joe Lewis, is Rocky yeah. Marciano, is is Muhammad Ali, is Joe Frazier, uh, is George Foreman. Who is it now? I have no idea, but I can tell you Conor McGregor is, and I bet you every single kid uh, you know under the age of twenty one can tell you who he is. That's right. Yeah, and it does speak to the popularity, and you know, like or hate Dana White, what he's done with UFC has been uh, pretty remarkable. I mean, this is a story that I've followed actually from the Wall Street and private equity perspective because it's partially owned by KKR, well known private equity firm, obviously, as well as Endeavor, Ari Emanuel's big entertainment and management companies. So uh, anyway, watch this space. He'll probably be back. But for the moment, <laughs> Conor McGregor has retired. <laughs> On the sidelines as well, uh, still 
Major League Baseball. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine is a minor league baseball owner, and I run into him in the neighborhood every now and again. And I feel like every time baseball comes up, we just kind of stand there and shake our heads. And I know you're a baseball fan, and I am too, Mike. And I just, I don't know what to do when it comes to baseball anymore. And it just, I've gone from sort of annoyed to a little bit sad as I read this and all the back and forth. And maybe we'll get a season, but whatever victory anybody gets, it feels like is going to be Pyrrhic at this point. Well, I think the worst emotion you can have toward anything is apathy. Yes. Uh, you can have you, you can have anger, you can have elation, and those are both good. Because, uh, but apathy is the worst, and I think that's what's settling in with your average sports fan right now. Is like, you know, hey, wake me up when it's settled, and if it's not settled, we don't have baseball. I don't really care, and that's yeah. the real danger. You know, you and I have talked. You've got teenage kids, and uh, their their friends, and in, in the spring, are uh, overwhelmingly playing lacrosse instead of high school baseball, yeah. and that's pretty much the case uh, around a, a majority of this country right now. And and Major League Baseball, we've always said this: they have the most powerful union, and they have the most obstinate members in that union, and and they usually win. Uh, it's very often that they, I mean, simple things like scheduling a day night doubleheader can't be done without the approval of Major League Baseball players, right. which is ridiculous. Shows some of the power they. Have. Have. But, you know, there's a lot going on. They made a proposal last night uh, to counter the owners. They want to play 89 games now. And uh, the, the owners uh, on Monday, I think, proposed 76 games. You know, when you start getting into prorated and money, and then that that's when the average fan says, you know, I'm checking out. Wake me when it's over. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting, and I wonder if you agree, Mike, is... This has been a negotiation, unlike in the other sports, that has just been completely played out in public. I feel like a lot of these discussions were happening in the NBA and in the NHL, and yet, and I do think this owes to the strength of the commissioners in the respective leagues, they were able to essentially more or less handle it in-house. Look, we have a lot of colleagues across the sports business who are have fantastic sources, and they were giving you know little hints here and there. But I do not recall seeing a negotiation play out this publicly. And let's be honest, a negotiation that plays out this tit-for-tat publicly is never going well. That's never a good sign, right? No. The old saying, uh, don't hang your dirty laundry on the on the clothesline right. outside. You don't want your neighbors to see it. And it just applies to these negotiations right here. I remember back the 81 uh, work stoppage, 94, we had canceled the World Series, and, and people were disgusted. They did come back. Yeah. But the difference this time is, you know, summertime, it's the only game in town. Right now, they're not going to be the only game in town. And we've had this conversation about them being lost in the shuffle with the NHL, with the PGA, with the NBA, yeah. and with the NFL preseason games coming around. You know, you look at every city in this country that has a, an NFL team and a Major League Baseball team. And preseason games start in August. And a game that means nothing, and when the starters only play maybe a quarter at the most, the ratings for an NFL preseason game in August would outdo a Major League Baseball game in the same city. I'm talking yeah. places like New York, Boston, uh, Tampa, uh, Chicago that have Major League Baseball teams and NFL teams. And, you know, that that's a telling sign right there. So if And that's when relations are good. Yeah. If this, this happens now, they're going to get buried by all these other sports. And I mean buried in the ratings. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think the most notable... One, I mean, obviously, the the football uh, element is is clear from history, as you just laid out. The one that they've never really had to contend with because it's been so early in the season 
is the NBA. And, you know, the NBA, as ascendant as it is right now, and candidly, as exciting a season that we were seeing in the NBA, and you think about what's going on with the Lakers, you think about what's going on with the Bucks, you think about what's going on with the Clippers, and this is going to be, they're going to be able to generate a lot of excitement. And so even if baseball does manage to come back, I do feel like a lot of everyday, quote unquote, sports fans are going to be really zoomed in on what's happening in Orlando with the NBA. And that's something we haven't really had to see before because the playoffs, you know, we would be, I think at this point, we'd be done or very close to done with the NBA uh, season. And, you know, we'd be onto baseball in a normal year. And obviously this is nothing even close to resembling a normal year. But uh, I do think that that's something that I hadn't thought that much about until you said it, that specifically with the NBA, I mean, NHL, I'm not sure how much overlap there is, but I feel like the NBA has probably taken a lot of um, a lot of things away. I mean, the other thing, because we've talked about lacrosse in this context is, don't forget the Premier Lacrosse League, Paul Rabel's league, they're going to be doing their tournament, their quarantine tournament at the end of July mm-hmm. as well. And so that could coincide with baseball. So, And that's going to be playing on NBC, on NBC Sports, and I think main NBC at times because they're able to – they have been able, Paul Rabel and his brother Mike, who run the league, have been able to negotiate taking some of the broadcast time that was supposed to be allocated to the Olympics, and that's where lacrosse is going to sit. You're going to have more people seeing a lacrosse game on TV than have ever seen lacrosse probably cumulatively in the course of human history over uh, <laughs> that few weeks. I mean, probably I mean, one of the things I'm really missing uh, or I missed a couple weeks ago was going to uh, your home stadium, Gillette, and watching the NCAA Final oh. Four, which is the biggest lacrosse scene every year. And it switches. I Actually, I think this year it was supposed to be back in Philadelphia. They do two years Two years yep. Boston, two years Philly, but that's a madhouse, and you see the popularity of that sport growing. I could talk about lacrosse it, for a long time, but anyway. Well, that you know, you're right about that NCAA thing. It's it's almost like a festival. It's almost yeah. like Woods like like Woodstock. People just come in in droves. They pack the stadium, and one of the guys who was responsible for getting it to Gillette is a, a, one of the biggest lacrosse proponents of all, Bill Belichick. Yes. Um, he has a lacrosse stick in his office. He uh, he's often seen out in Gillette Stadium, you know, just play, playing catch with one of his sons with his lacrosse stick. And he was very instrumental in convincing Robert Kraft to bring the NCAA to Gillette. So um, he's a big, big, big fan. You know, one of the other point I wanted to make about um, eyeballs and making choices under the baseball players' proposal, which they made last night of eighty-nine games. They want their schedule to go July tenth to October eleventh. If the NBA Finals went seven games. Game 7 would be October 12th. So in that period from, let's say, October 1st through the 12th, are you going to be watching Major League Baseball games or are you going to be watching the finals of the NBA? Yeah. And there's no no question. question. No question. There's no choice. Yeah. No question. If you have the chance to watch the Bucks versus the Lakers, I mean, come on. Yeah, I, know, I mean, I which know. is which is by all accounts how it could end up. Or even better, if you could be watching the Lakers versus the Clippers at that point, like that that yeah. would be insane. Like you'd be insane to be like, oh no, I'm going to watch a regular season Braves game. And I love the Braves, <laughs> but good lord. No. All right, so let's talk a little uh, golf. One of our favorite conversations that you're going to hear this weekend is with Jay Monahan, and that's because golf is back 
And I do wonder, you're a very serious golfer, and uh, full disclosure, I loved this interview in part because you were able to draw on, I mean, you are a local legend, but you were able to draw on some hyper-local knowledge when it came to Jay Monahan. <laughs> well, Jay Monahan and his family, his father and his grandfather and great-grandfathers have, uh, pl- play at this local club outside of Boston, Winchester Country Club, and and they their names are over have been on plaques since 1938. So I think uh, one of the great accomplishments for Jay Monahan, or one of the great one of the reasons he's so good with the players, is that he's played the game. He's not a corporate suit that sits atop uh, in an office and makes decisions. He's with them and interacts with them. And and this is a fascinating conversation, which I think everyone's going to enjoy. Jay, Jay's very frank. He's very open. Yeah. He's very, and um, he's a terrific guy. And he. He cares, you know, he cares about the health and well-being and the safety as much as he cares about the dollars and cents that are coming in or not coming in. And so all eyes turned to Texas this weekend, right? I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was one, I thought, very significant. Jay Monahan just announced this uh, after we did our interview. The 8.46 tea time will be vacant. No one will tee off at 8.46. And and everyone will pause for a moment of silence. Of course, that was the 8 minutes and 46 seconds was the amount of time that the officer's knee was on George Floyd's neck. So coming up in the um, Colonial, all four days at 8.46, everyone will pause on the course. Nobody will tee off. So I thought that was, that was something that Jay and, you know, and people that he talked to implemented and it's yeah. going to go on there it's going to go on next week when they go to south carolina at hilton head and i think i think for the first five tournaments they have scheduled yeah it'll be interesting to see how people react in in general to golf being back and it, it does feel like one of these moments i mean it, it feels sort of like the opposite of what's going on with baseball in the sense that baseball may sort of fade away because it can't get its act together at the same time you know golf which has struggled i think with its ratings you know there's sort of the tiger years and the non-tiger years and obviously last year was a big year with tiger winning the masters again and and all of the emotion and candidly all the money (laughs) and all the eyeballs that came back to the sport because of tiger uh this could be an interesting moment for people to pay a little more attention to golf. And, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago with the match part two, that people do like golf. They like watching it. They like when they can connect with the the players. I guess one of the questions, and, and you would know this better than I, is, is there a chance that we could have sort of a breakout player in the near term? Well, we could. Uh, some of the international, two big great international players will not be in the field, Adam Scott and Tommy Fleetwood, because they had to come over here early enough to quarantine for 14 days before they'd be cleared to play. Tiger's not playing in this tournament. Uh, I don't think he's committed to anything until the Memorial, which is in, in July. Yeah. So the big question is going to be, uh, will people watch a non-Tiger event? I think there's going to be a lot of curious eyeballs on this yeah. tournament. Hey, what is it like without fans? Uh, is, is there going to be contact between the caddy and the player? Um, you know, what's, uh, what's it going to be like, uh, you know, without someone on the course saying, well, he's got a seven iron from, uh, 168 yards right now. It's going to be different. So I think you're going to get the, the diehard golf people and you're going to get the curious sports fan. Last question for you. And maybe we could talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. Have you watched the Lance Armstrong documentary? Part one so far. All right. Maybe we'll talk about that next week because uh, okay. I want to talk a little bit more about it and sort of the compare and contrast with Last Dance because it's, in my mind, it's not as good. But <laughs> is, is that my homework? That's the homework assignment. Yeah, exactly. I've only watched part one, too. So we'll both watch part two and then we'll give everybody a review. All right. Well, later this week, as we talked about, we are going to speak with PJ Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan. You heard us talk a little bit about 
that conversation. It was a fun one, and uh, you learned some things about Mike Lynch that you need to know. So you'll catch our podcast right here every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me on Twitter at LynchyWCVB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>